This is the Moira Pentecostal Church podcast, providing you with sound biblical teaching. We hope you will be encouraged, challenged, and blessed by this ministry. Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1. Philippians 1, we'll give you the verse in a moment. Uh, a few days ago, in my drawer, I found uh, this tube of cream that the doctor had prescribed for me. And uh, actually, it was March 13, whenever this was prescribed. But the date, uh, the expiry date, was November 15. And this is May 2019. So you can see it is well out of date. Uh, it is totally expired. And not only that, but if I was to apply that to myself today, it would be of no manner of use whatsoever because the active agent in that is gone. It's totally ineffective. Aren't you glad that God has no expiration date? Aren't you glad that God is never out of date? Psalm 90 verse 2, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Hebrews 13 and 8, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. Our God is eternal. He's everlasting. There never was a time when he was not. There never will be a time when he will be not. All life on earth dies. Even the very sun one day will die in the heavens, but the Ancient of Days will never die. God has no expiration date. His active agent on earth, which is the Holy Spirit, will ever be our helper. The blood of Christ has no expiration date. It will never, ever lose its power. And as long as men are alive on the earth, the blood of Christ and the Holy Spirit will never lose their power to save eternal souls. God has no expiration date. The Word of God has no expiration date. Psalm 119.89, Forever, O Lord, your Word is settled in heaven. It doesn't matter what the evolutionist says. It doesn't matter what the scientists say. It doesn't matter what the philosophers say. It doesn't matter what the lefties say. God's Word will never, ever pass away. Jesus says, heaven and earth will pass away, but my word will never pass away. That's why we can believe God's promises. Numbers 23, 19. God is not a man that he should lie, nor a son of man that he should repent. Has he said, and will he not do? Or has he spoken, and will he not make it good? 1 Kings 8, 56. Blessed be the Lord who has given us rest, who has given rest to his people Israel. According to all that he promised, there has not failed one word of all his good promise, which he promised through his servant Moses. God takes his word, God takes his promises very seriously indeed, because his honor, his integrity, his credibility, his character depends upon him keeping his word. God will not allow man to call him a liar. In fact, it says, if that God be true and every man a liar, 
but not God. God is a promise keeper. He's not a promise breaker. If God has given you a promise, and I know, I'm sure he has, I'm sure you've got a promise out of God's word that has meant something much to you and it's been real to you. If God has given you a promise, stand upon that promise. Write it down. Speak it out if necessary. Do what you have to do, but say, God, that is your promise to me and your promises never, ever fail. Amen. Exceedingly great and precious promises, Peter called them. Exceedingly great and precious promises. By these we become partakers of the divine nature. Why are God's promises so exceedingly great and precious? Because he not only promises life, he promises abundant life. Abundant life, that you might have life and have it more abundantly. He not only promises joy, but fullness of joy. He said in John 15, that your joy might be full. My joy I give unto you. Not as the word gives, but my joy I give unto you, that your joy might be full. He not only promises peace, but perfect peace. Perfect peace. Isaiah says, those whose minds have stayed on him shall have perfect peace. Amen. That's not easy to do. When all kinds of thoughts and situations arise and your mind is being bombarded daily, it's sometimes it's difficult to be able to keep your mind on God and the things of God and the promises of God. Not only does God promise grace, but there's times he promises special grace. <laughs> Old Paul <laughs> went through so much and there was one situation where he prayed three times, Lord, please take this away. And God says, no, I won't, but my grace will be sufficient for you. I have a special grace for that. You know, there's a grace for us every single day. We live by grace, don't we? Faith in Christ, but there's a special grace. There's times you go through stuff in life and you need that special grace to get you through. And God has it in abundance for us. Do you need food? Do you need clothing? Do you need some material need? Jesus says in Matthew 6, do not worry. Over and over again, he says, take no thought for the things of tomorrow. For the things of tomorrow, take thought for itself. He says, even the little sparrows, he says, they don't sow nor reap. But he says, look, your heavenly Father looks after them. So why do you worry, he kept saying. Need wisdom? Uh, read James 1 and 5, Proverbs 9, 10. So much wisdom in the Bible. Let a man ask of God if he needs wisdom. Who upbraids not and he gives liberally to those who ask him. Need forgiveness, need restoration. There's plenty of it available. God will restore and he will forgive and he will have mercy. Lack assurance and confidence. Uh, read Matthew chapter 7. Just Let me just quickly turn to this for a second. Matthew chapter 7. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receive. And he who seeks, finds. To him who knocks, it will be opened. For what man is there among you? If his son asks for bread, will he give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father, who is, will your Father who is in heaven, give good things to those who ask Him? 
Therefore, whatever you want men to do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. There is no expiration date on God's word and God's promises. There's no expiration date on the mercy of God. In Psalm 136, there's 26 verses, and every single verse ends with these words, for the mercy of God endures forever. So let's get this right straight from right from the start. Our God is a merciful God. He is full of compassion, long-suffering, and of tender mercies. Peter said in 2 Peter 3, 9, The Lord is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So if a man is lost and goes to hell, it's not because God's mercy ran out, it's because that man has run away from God's mercy. God's mercy pursues people. That's why we're believers today, because the mercy of God pursued us. Even when we were rejecting God, when we were pushing God away, the mercy of God kept coming and coming and coming and pursued us. But even though God's mercy endures forever, his patience won't endure forever. Yes, Peter says his mercy is long-suffering, but we've had 2,000 years of God's patience. We have had 2,000 years of God's Holy Spirit on earth convicting men and women and drawing them to Christ. We have had 2,000 years of God's unfailing, amazing grace poured out upon the earth. But the scripture says in Genesis 6 and 3, but my spirit will not always strive with man. There's going to come a time when God will say, enough is enough. There's going to come a time when God will send his son, this time not as a lamb, but as a lion. This time not as the lamb that was slain before the foundation of the world, but as the lion of the tribe of Judah, who will come to judge the living and the dead, the Bible says. There will be a great white throne of, that men will stand before in Revelation 20. And it will not be the mercy seat. This will be the seat of justice and of judgment. Listen to what it says. Revelation 20, 11. Then I saw a great white throne and him who sat on it from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God and the books were opened and another book was opened which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the books. The sea gave up the dead who were in it, and death and Hades delivered up the dead who were in them. And they were judged each one according to his works. Then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Boy. <coughs> scary stuff isn't it powerful stuff but that's what the word of God says and so it's not that God's mercy has expired for those who love him have been faithful to him and have been true to him the mercy of God will go through all eternity the mercy of God will take us into the heaven glory to God the purposes of God for your life has no expiration date that's why I turned you, asked you to turn to Philippians chapter 1. Verse 6, being confident of this very thing, 
that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it unto the day of Jesus Christ. The companion verse for that in the Old Testament, Psalm 138, David says, The Lord will perfect that which concerns me. The Lord will complete that, will fulfill that, will make sure that that comes to fruition. The Lord will perfect that which concerns me. He is the author. He's the finisher of our faith. Now, most of us are not good at finishing things. How many diets have we started? But we never finished. Am I the only one who can say that? I don't think so. How many books have you started to read but you never finished? New Year's resolutions usually stop about mid-January. That's usually as far as you get. We mean well, our intentions are good, we hope to do it, we plan to do it, but somehow or other we tire, we lose our motivation, we get demotivated, and we just quit. And this can apply as much to our spiritual lives as anything else. But our God is not like that. What he starts, he finishes. When it comes to perfecting our lives, he just doesn't give up. He keeps going on. He never wearies. He never tires. He doesn't lose interest. He's never demotivated. He's always on the job. He's always looking out for us. He has a plan in mind, and he won't be satisfied until that job is done. Just like the gardener who weeds, who prunes, like the sculptor who chips away, like the, the carpenter who shaves off different layers God works on us until that image of who he wants us to be in him begins to emerge. If our desire is to be in his image, and I hope that it is, then God is not going to stop until that image shines through. Each of us is a work in progress. God hasn't finished with us yet. Sure he hasn't. Remember the song of I Can Remember that the Hemphills used to sing? But God is not finished with us. Where's Fanaya? She would know that. She's down in the Sunday school. He only took a week to make the moon and the stars, the earth and the sun and Jupiter and Mars. But oh, how loving and patient he must be, for God's still working on me. Hallelujah. And he is still working on me, and he's working on you. Peter was a work in progress. Yes, he often spoke out of turn. Yes, he was highly opinionated. Yes, he thought he was stronger than he actually was. Yes, he was overconfident in his own ability. Yes, he even denied his own Lord. But there was so much potential in him. And Christ was prepared to keep working on him, to not give up on Peter, to keep at him and at him and at him until he made him in the image that he wanted. Do you remember on that post-resurrection morning when the disciples had gone out fishing thinking that the, their ministry was finished and over and how when they came back with the empty boats Jesus was there waiting on them had made a fire had cooked them breakfast and how that he took Peter aside and says, Peter, do you love me? Three times he asked him, Peter, do you love me? You see, 
I think there was two things in Peter's life, in spite of all his faults and all his failings, I think there was two things that the Lord saw, and I think we see them here, was humility and repentance. Those were the two things that he worked on in Peter's life. And he was humbled to the dust. And here he is, Jesus saying to him, Peter, do you love me? And the verb is agapeo, do you love me wholeheartedly? Do you love me completely? Uh, do you love me without reservation? And Peter, humbled, could only answer, Lord, you know that I phileo you. You know, Lord, I'm very, very fond of you. He, could, he, couldn't, he couldn't actually boast anymore. He had boasted how much he loved Jesus. If all these forsake you, I'll never forsake you. I'll die for you. Jesus said again, Peter, do you love me? Agapeo, do you unconditionally love me? Lord, I phileo you. Lord, you know that I, I love you like a brother. <laughs> and then the third time, Jesus said, Peter, do you phileo me? Do you love me like a brother? Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you, phileo you. And so Jesus was humbling him, and he was humbled. No more bragging, no more boasting, no more if all these forsake you. In fact, in that conversation, he said, do you love me more than these? That's what he started out. Do you love me more than these? Because <laughs> that's what he boasted. But now he's humbled. You think of the time in Luke 22, whenever Jesus had been arrested in the garden and he had been taken to the home of Caiaphas, the high priest. And first of all, Annas questioned him. Caiaphas was his son-in-law. He was the high priest, and he questioned him. And Jesus had told them just that night, as before, at the Last Supper, he says, Peter, before the cock crows twice in the morning, you'll deny me three times. And of course, Peter was so proud and so brave before the rest in the garden that he didn't believe it. But while he was standing warm in his hands at the fire when Jesus was being tried falsely by the high priest, little girl says, uh, I think I recognize you. I, I think you were with him. And he says, no, 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 no. I paraphrase, no, no, you got all that wrong. No, not me. And the cock crew. <laughs> the old rooster crowed. And you think that would have been a warning, wouldn't you? But at that point, he hadn't even remembered. And then two more times, two others came to him and says, weren't you with Jesus from Nazareth? No, he says, no, no. He said, I don't even know him. And then the third time, yeah, you're a Galilean. Your speech betrays you. I know not the man. And suddenly, the cock crew, while he was still speaking, the Bible says, that rooster crowed like I'd never crowed before. 
And suddenly, Jesus turned right around and looked at Peter. And it says that Peter went out and he wept bitterly. He truly repented. Judas went out and hung himself. Judas had a lot of remorse. He went to the priest and says, I have betrayed innocent blood. He had a lot of remorse for what he'd done, but he wasn't repentant. But Peter was repentant. Peter was a work in progress. You and I are a work in progress. If we, like Peter, are willing to humble ourselves and repent, then we can be confident of this very thing, that he which began a good work in you will complete it unto the day of Jesus Christ. David was a work in progress. David was uncommonly brave, wasn't he? He killed a lion and a bear with his bare hands. I like to watch those programs on TV about Alaska. And those people who live out there and they live of the land, subsistence lifestyle, and they live in those log cabins and they shoot bears and all the rest of it. But none of those, I've never met one of them yet, who would dare tackle a bear with their own hands. But David did. And a lion too. And just as a, a young man, just as a lad, a stripling, they called him, he went out and he faced Goliath of Gath. Even when none of the armies of Israel would do it. Even when Jonathan, who was a great, brave soldier, wouldn't do it. But David went out and faced that uncircumcised Philistine. And you know the end of that story. He killed him. David was a, a very talented musician. The Bible says he played the harp skillfully. He was a great composer of poetry and songs and the legacy of the Psalms are left for us to see that. He, had, he was wonderfully gifted. He was the greatest king that Israel ever had. Nation prospered under David. Destroyed their enemies around him. But, but he had weaknesses. And those weaknesses caused him to commit adultery with Bathsheba. Organized the murder of her husband, Uriah the Hittite. Brought shame and disgrace. And he really wasn't a very good father. When you read how he handled his son Absalom, he failed miserably. And yet, in spite of all his faults and feelings, and here's a key, he was willing and able to repent and be humble before God. It took a year before... He actually repented. His dear friend, the prophet Nathan, went to him and remember told him the story about the ewe lamb. And whenever he heard that story, and Nathan says, you're the man. You're the man. And after a year of hiding his sin, he finally, finally admitted that he was the man. And in Psalm 51, which is great psalm of repentance, he says, have mercy upon me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the multitude of your tender mercies. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. See, he's owning this. And this is true repentance. 
For I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is always before me. But note this, against you, you only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight. Now that wasn't technically true, was it? He'd sinned against Bathsheba, he'd sinned against Uriah the Hittite, he got him killed, murdered. But you see, true repentance, you first of all met, Lord, I've sinned against you. It's you I've sinned against. And that's the key to true repentance. It's not I just sinned against somebody else, I've sinned against you. That you may be found just when you speak and blameless when you judge. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin my mother conceived me. Behold, you desire truth in the inward parts and the hidden part you will make me to know wisdom. Verse 7, purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Hyssop, hyssop was a plant, a herbal plant that grew in walls. And it was used in the ceremony of the priests uh, when a leper came uh, feeling that the leprosy had passed or it was at a certain stage. There was a ritual to go through before they could go back in the community and they had to come to the priest and, and had to be inspected by the priest. And the priest used hyssop in that ceremony. So David, in a sense, is saying, I, I feel like a leper. I feel like I'm untouchable. I feel so ashamed of what I have done before you, God. I feel like a leper uh, in your sight. So he says, purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me, I shall be whiter than snow. Make me to hear joy and gladness that the bones you have broken may rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence. You see, he remembered what happened to King Saul. When the anointing lifted of Saul and God's presence was no longer with him, David saw that and he saw what happened to anyone whom God removes his presence from. It's not a pretty sight. David says, I don't want that. Do whatever you like to me, but don't take your presence from me. Do not cast me from your presence. Do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Do you know that's the first time that the Spirit of God is called the Holy Spirit in Scripture? Very first time. And it was David who coined that phrase, as it were, because he realized the Spirit of God is a Holy Spirit. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. Uphold me by your generous spirit, and I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners shall be converted to you. Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God. He's thinking about Uriah, the God of my salvation, and my tongue shall sing aloud of your righteousness. Now it goes. You know that God called David a man after his own heart long before we ever knew about this. And God knew he was a man after his own heart. Yes, he had sinned grievously. Yes, he had done much harm. But he was a man after God's heart. And you see that in Psalm 51 when he's praying and he's saying, God, forgive me, I've sinned greatly against you. He was a man after God's own heart. And God was able to take his humility and his repentance and restore him wonderfully, wonderfully.
Jacob was a work in progress. It took over 20 years for God to turn Jacob, the deceiver, into Israel, a prince with God. You remember how he and his mother connived together to get the birthright from Esau? Esau didn't care anything about the birthright. And if they had awaited, God would have made sure he got it because God promised it to him. But they wouldn't wait. In their unbelief and in their impatience, they connived together to cheat Esau out of that birthright. And you remember what happened when he did that, how the Esau threatened to kill him and how he went away to his uncle Laban's home and how his uncle Laban then cheated him because you reap what you sow and how he fell in love with Rebekah and wanted to marry her and had to work seven years for her and then the wedding took place and the honeymoon and in the honeymoon he lifted her veil and lo and behold it wasn't Rachel at all it was Leah what a shock so that's why young men if you ever get married make sure you lift the veil <laughs> make sure you're marrying the right one not her sister <laughs> and he was shocked and he had to work another seven years and then after 20 years he decided he would go home even with the threat of Esau wanting to kill him. And on the way home, he met the angel of the Lord at Jabbok. And there he wrestled with the angel to the breaking of the day. And it was at that moment and that incident that he got the name change from Jacob to Israel, a prince with God. And he never was the same after that. And finally, when he got home, Esau didn't kill him, by the way, but let me just tell you something I always find fascinating. In that wrestling with the angel, the angel said to him, what is your name? As if he didn't know. You see, this is important. In Genesis 27, 32, when he was deceiving his father, you remember how his old Isaac was blind and how that him and the mother got goat skins because Esau was a hairy man and put the goat skins on his arm so the old man could feed it. And the old man said, the hands are the hands of Esau, but the voice is the voice of Jacob. And he says, who are you? And here's what he said in Genesis 27, 32. I am your son, your firstborn Esau. What a big lie that was. But whenever the angel wrestled with him and says, what is your name? And funny enough, this is in Genesis 32, 27. In Genesis 27, 32, he says, I'm your son, your firstborn Esau. But in Genesis 32, 7, he says, what is your name? He says, my name is Jacob. I'm the deceiver. I'm the cheater. I'm the sinner. I was the one. He owned it. And because of that humility and repentance, God was able to change him into Israel, a prince with God. And of course, his sons went on to be the tribes of Israel, and through that, the Lord Jesus Christ came. Do you believe today that what God has started in you, he can complete? Do you believe that today? Or are you wondering how... Do you doubt that it can be done? 
Are you saying, Lord, I, I, I don't know if this can happen. Will, will God keep working on me until I'm formed into the image that he wants? You see, in, in Psalm 138, where, where David says, the Lord will perfect that which concerns me. This was a time, we reckon, whenever David was on the run from his own son Absalom, who wanted to kill him and was taking his throne from him. And he was in exile. And he says, I will praise you with my whole heart. Before the gods, I will sing praises to you. I will worship towards your holy temple and praise your name. Now you should take note of that. Because the temple hadn't been built yet. That's why some thought that David didn't write this. Some of the skeptics. But it was in David's heart for years to build a temple for God. And here he is at a very low ebb, exiled from home, his own son wanting to kill him. Didn't look as if he was going to get his throne at all. And yet he's saying, God, he says, I will worship towards your holy temple. It's going to be built. You're not finished with me yet. Now, even though in the end we know that his son Solomon got that privilege, but David provided the funds to do that. But God hadn't finished with him. And a part of David inside was acknowledging that, was declaring that. I will worship towards your holy temple and praise your name for your loving kindness and for your truth. For you have magnified your word above your name. In the day when I cried out, you answered me and made me bold with strength in my soul. And then it goes on down, verse 7. Though I walk in the midst of trouble, you will receive me. You will stretch out your hand against the wrath of my enemies, and your right hand will save me. The Lord will perfect that which concerns me. Your mercy, O Lord, endures forever. Do not forsake the work of your hands. Amen. Revelation 1 and 8, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. He is the author and the finisher of our faith. Genesis is a book of beginnings. Revelation is a book of endings. Genesis is the origin of all things. Revelation is the consummation of all things. In Genesis, we see the beginning of creation, the beginning of mankind, the beginning of the nations, and the beginning of a particular nation, Israel. The first 11 chapters of Genesis, we see the history of mankind in general, but from Genesis 12 onwards, we see the history of the nations, but particularly of one nation, Israel, through whom Christ the Messiah would come. In Revelation, we see the consummation of all things. We see the end of this world as we know it. There will be no more rebellion of men. There will be no more strife, no more war, no more sickness, no more disease, no more pain, no more death, no more tears. Genesis 3.15, God made a promise. And the promise was that even though Satan would bruise, Christ healed. But Christ would bruise his head. He would break his authority. And here's the consummation, consummation of that. Revelation 20.10. The devil who deceived the nations was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are and they will be tormented day and night forever and forever. Glory to God. What God starts, he finishes. 
every prophecy in Scripture will be fulfilled. Friends, we are living in the days when we're seeing it fulfilled before our very eyes. If you have eyes to see and ears to hear, this Bible is coming true every day. And it's speeding up. And I've often said things I preached here 20 years ago have now happened. Prophecies we talked about 20 years, they've happened in our lifespan. The Lord's coming soon and very soon. Every promise of Scripture will be honored. <laughs> Every person who puts their trust in Christ will be complete and completed and perfected in Him. So trust Him today that what He has started in your life, He will finish. His word is true for you today. Lo, I am with you always. I will never forsake you. I'll be with you even unto the end. Aren't you glad God has got no expiration date? Hallelujah. That old tube of cream that's just fit for the bin, and that's where it'll go today. <laughs> Do you know something? Can I tell you something? I showed my wife that, and I didn't tell her that I was going to use it in illustration. She threw it in the bin. <laughs> in fact, she threw it in two bins. Papered one on the other, and I had to go out and fish them out of the bin. <laughs> so she's, when, I, when I held that up this morning, she's probably thought, surely he didn't go into the bin to get that. <laughs> but he did. I have a habit of fishing things out of the bin that my wife throws in there that she never asked me about. <laughs> I had an old, I had an old uh, record player years ago. You used to want to young ones, they know what a record player was. Years and years ago, and it was broken. Well, half of it was broken, and I kept it for years. She threw it in the bin one day. I fished it out of the bin and hid it. <laughs> I'm a first-class hoarder. She's a thrower, I'm a hoarder. So that's a good combination, isn't it? Our house would be a tip if it wasn't for our fucking stuff into the bin. But anyway, God is never out of date. Sure is not. Never out of date. No expiry date in God. Amen. Lord, we thank you that you are still the great King of kings and Lord of lords. Lord, that you are still the mighty God. Lord, that there's nothing can stop you. Nothing can prevent you fulfilling your perfect will. If we humble ourselves, if we need to repent, Lord, if we need to get on our knees and say, sorry, Lord, Lord, you will complete us. That's for sure. And so we give you thanks for your mercies today, for all of your grace towards us. And we thank you, Lord, that you have put no expiration date on our lives. Lord, that we will live forever in eternity. And we give you thanks for that in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to this podcast. We produce a variety of sermon videos and inspiring Christian content available for free on our YouTube channel. Just go to YouTube and search Moira Pentecostal or visit our website for more information, www.mpc.org.uk.